because man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. As Jesus said when he battled Satan in the wilderness, let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to look at the whole chapter this evening. 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 1 through 17. Hear then the word of the Lord. But know this, difficult times will come in the last days. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid these people. For among them are those who worm their way into households and capture idle women burdened down with sins, led along by a variety of passions, always learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so these also resist the truth. Men who are corrupt in mind, worthless in regard to the faith. But they will not make further progress, for their lack of understanding will be clear to all, as theirs was also. But you have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance, along with the persecutions and sufferings that came to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from them all. In fact, all those who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Evil people and imposters will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you, and you know that from childhood you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired or breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Father, we are asking now, like we asked you this morning, like we ask you every time we read your word, whether together or by ourselves, we ask for your help. We ask that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things here in your word, that you would incline our hearts to your testimony and not to material gain. We pray that you would unite our hearts to fear your name. And we ask, Father, that you would satisfy us this evening with your steadfast covenant love so that we might rejoice and be glad in you all of our days. Help us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we've been going through 2 Timothy, I still contend that the main burden of Paul is 2 Timothy 1, verse 8, which says, Don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. I think that's the main theme of the letter. Paul's going to die, and he wants to make sure that the gospel ministry continues past his death, which means he's going to need to raise up ministers, and that's Christians, who are willing to suffer 
because that's what it's going to cost to bring the gospel to the neighborhoods and to the world. And so that is his burden here. And he's continuing to equip Timothy and encourage Timothy to be bold and courageous. And he's encouraging Timothy to keep his ministry ablaze as he sends him out and as he sends us out. And so here in chapter 3, we get three more steps to this gospel ministry. I really have four, but the fourth step we'll we'll pick up next week because it's in chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Here are the four steps Paul gives us in this chapter and into the next chapter. Know, know the times. Avoid, avoid specific people. Continue in what you've learned. That's verses 14 to 17. And then next week we'll cover declare or preach the word. You know, that famous passage where Paul says, you know, before God and before Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead and before his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. We'll talk about that next week, but we're going to focus on three this evening and it's know the terrible times, avoid specific people and continue in what you have learned. So let's look at those one at a time for our evening meditation. Number one, know the terrible times. And this is verses one all the way to verse 9. Or actually, this goes even further, I think. Yeah, oh, this goes 1, one to 5. Know the terrible times, verses 1 through 5. And so he says, what kind of people will, be there, will there be in the last days? By the way, before we get there, when did the last days begin? Does anyone know when the last days begun, according to the Bible? Genesis, that's a good guess. Okay, not, that, not quite that early. The last days begun with the cross of Christ. The death and resurrection of Christ. So from Jesus' first coming, specifically his death and resurrection, you could even say his his incarnation, all the way until his second coming are the last days in the Bible. Now, that doesn't mean there's not going to be specific tribulation or things like that at the very, very last days. You know, John says about the last hour of the last day, you know, and then you can talk about the last minutes of the last day. But um, the last days begun even in the first century. In Paul's time, in John, in 1 John, John says it's the last hour. And that was 90 A.D. We're in 2015 A.D. And so we're still in that last hour. So that's the last days from verse 1. And what's what's characteristic of the last days? What are people going to be like? Lovers of self, lovers of money. You know, we're going to look at all these um, and say a brief word about each. But lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, boastful. And there's a long laundry list of different characteristics and characters, types of people that are going to be there. Now, I preach this text before, but I just want to show you that we're we're continually learning and we're refining and and growing because last time I preached this, I preached this as the people in the world, people in our culture. And certainly these are people in our culture, but look at verse five. Verse five says that these people are holding to what? A form of what? A form of what? Godliness. So they're pretending or maybe not pretending, they're, 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 they're showing forth this form of being Godly, of worshiping God, of loving God. In other words, it's not just people in the culture, it's even people in the churches, in the last days. And if you read 1 John, that's what he talks about in 1 John as well. So it's even people in the churches. You, you notice Paul, he's about to die. You know, when, you, when, you, when you're about to die, you kind of let all the filters go, right? And you just say what you think because you're going to go anyways, And so you're just going to explain, here's what's going on. And so he's just saying, hey, Timothy, you're a pastor, you're in Ephesus, you need to know what's going on. Here's what's going on. In the last days, even in the churches, they're going to hold to this form of Christianity 
But really, if you read this list, this list characterizes them more than the fruit of the Spirit. So let's look at this list that that um, Paul is referring to here. Lovers, in verse 2, these people will be lovers of self. Now, everyone loves themselves, actually. Um, it's not a sin to love yourself in some way. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. So even Jesus assumes that there's a certain degree of loving yourself. Because if, if you're going to love your neighbor, you're going to love your neighbor as you love yourself. So, But here, it's not just loving yourself in a godly way, but loving yourself in a self-centered way, where you love yourself to the detriment of your neighbor, to the detriment of your family member. This is basically being selfish. In the last days, people in the, in the culture and in the church will be selfish. Not only that, they'll be lovers of what? Lovers of money. Lovers of money. Okay, you, we could, you can, there's certainly scandals out there of pastors who get greedy. And it's not just pastors, it can be church members, right? You don't need to be a pastor to be greedy, you just need to be a Christian and, 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 and give in to that temptation. And so people will be lovers of money, and the love of money is the root of all evil, evil right? As we learn in First Timothy. So lovers of money, lovers of self, they'll be boastful, proud, so they're exalting who? themselves, right? They think much of themselves, and when they look at others, they think of them as lower. They look down on other people. They're proud, they're boastful, look down on other Christians and even other non-Christians, maybe as morons, as idiots. One of the reasons I regularly practice addressing non-Christians in my sermons is to remind myself and to remind our church to learn how to speak to non-Christians respectfully, even when we disagree with them at a very core heart level, right? We disagree with them about salvation. We disagree with them about who's the center of the universe. We disagree with them about their life direction. And we can disagree on the most important matters and still be respectful and not look down on them as if we're better than them. Because that would be boastful and that would be proud. Not only that, um, it says blasphemers. See that? Blasphemers. Now, there are people who blaspheme in our culture, but there are even Christians who blaspheme. There's one Christian, or I would say Christian, there's this, there's this one rapper who um, is maybe one of the well, most well-known rappers today, and he has an album called Yeezus, um, because he goes by Ye or Ye, and so one of his nicknames is Yeezus, and he has a picture, you know, and he claims to be a Christian. He was on a talk show recently, and they asked him, are you a Christian? He said, yeah, I believe in and I follow the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, and one of his best friends has a rap nickname called Hova, Jehovah. That's his, that's his rap name. Okay, and, and, and so people who would wear a cross and still say, I am a Christian, and I believe in Jesus, can blaspheme the name of God. Not only that, what's next on the list? Disobedient to parents. Okay, they're disobedient to parents. You know, um, and, and this, is, this, this is true in the church. This is true in the world. The first test of a person's submission to authority or rebellion against authority is against their parents, right? Growing up in the home. You know, I didn't realize this growing up, but if you've, I don't know, some of you have seen the movie Little Mermaid. It's a Disney animation. But, um, you know, watching it as a kid, I was like, oh, yeah, it's a great movie. As I, w- I watched it with my kids as an adult, and I thought, this movie is horrible. This daughter is rebellious and stubborn and, and, and just straight disobedient to her dad. 
at every single turn and it works out for her. That's that's a lie, right? And that, but that that's you know that's the culture. Beware of the Disney lies you know out there. But the point is disobedient to parents. That's common. Not only that, ungrateful. More ungrateful would be your, me or you characterized more by complaining than by celebrating, seeing more problems than evidences of God's grace. Unholy. Unholy holiness is separate from sin. So unholy means that that they don't they don't mind if they sin, or maybe they, they they don't see that they're sinning. They might not intend to sin, but there's sin all over their lives and they don't see it. So unholy, unloving. They have no desire for the good of others, or if they do, it's only when it's convenient for them, and when it has to mean self sacrifice. Then I'm not going to be loving. I'm going to insist on my own way unloving next on the list is ir- irreconcilable i'm in verse three i know your version might have a little bit of a different word but irreconcilable means i mean you know we have a divorce culture that's big in our culture in general where there's no reconciliation you know in our culture we have lack of bipartisan agreement in our in our government there's no reconciliation there's culture wars that turn vitriolic and that sometimes gets into the church where you have people in church who who don't get along and, and butt heads and um, I'm grateful, at least from my knowledge of this church, I don't know of anything here, but I've been in other churches where there could be prominent members who just don't like each other, but yet they just coexist in the same church for years, and they just can't reconcile. Irreconcilable. Slanderers, that's speaking bad about others, not speaking directly to them, but speaking bad about them to other people and maligning their character. Next, in verse 3, without self-control... That can, be, that can be domestic violence, sexual immorality, pornography, anything that basically where you can't tell your desires no. I don't know if you're familiar with Ashley Madison. Does that mean anything to you? You heard that in the news? There was one report that Ashley Madison is this one uh, group that promotes adultery and you could do it secretly. Just put your email in there and, and they'll connect you with someone. And it's turned out to be a big hoax in a lot of ways, but they were exposed and they said, I read an article last night that said 400 pastors will be resigning today. 400 pastors will be resigning today because their emails are on the list. You know, So it's not outside the church that's lacking self-control. It's inside the church. It's not only inside the church, it's behind the pulpit even. Right? This is the last days. Brutal, the next word there is brutal, domestic violence and murder. Without love for what is good. Traitors, so betraying people, because taking care of self means I trump all other loyalties. I'll betray someone if it means I have to cross my own priorities. Reckless, verse 4, conceited, that's like proud, self-esteem. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. This, this, you know, this can be, um, there's a big movement in churches today, understandably, with the whole same-sex attraction movement, where there's there's a large movement of churches that say that it's okay to give in to those attractions to the same gender and still be faithful to God. I would classify that as being a lover of pleasure rather than a lover of God. Now, God made sexual intimacy for the marriage bed between man and a woman, and so it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing in the place that God has for it. But to go outside of that and say, well, I demand this, I have a right to this, whether it's same gender attraction or, or, or heterosexual attraction. 
I have a right to these pleasures. And God has to approve of it because I want it. That's loving pleasure more than loving God. Nothing wrong with loving pleasure as long as it's under and subservient to loving God. But in the churches, there are those who, who do this. Then there's godly appearance. And that, that's the last one in verse 5. They hold to a form of godliness, but they deny its power. So they have all the right boxes checked in their Christian life, but there's no real transformation in their heart. There's no deep love for God and deep love for people and denying of themselves. That's what's going to happen in the last days. The churches are going to be confronted with this, and Satan wants to produce and perpetuate this confusion, not only in the culture, but even inside the church. And so Paul tells us in verse 1, what's the command? Know the times. Understand the times we're living in. Do not be fooled by the times. That's verses 1 through 5. So that's number one. Know the terrible times we're in. Number two, keep some distance from godless people. Keep some distance from godless people. Now, you need to love godless people because we want them to know the gospel, right? You have to love even everyone, whether inside the church or outside the church. You can't be completely stiff-arming them because that would be unloving. But there has to be some measure of distance from godless people. Why? Paul gives us... Let's see here. In my notes, I have three reasons why you're to keep some distance from godless people. Number one is in verses 6 and 7, because they deceive people. Look at verse 6. For among them in these churches are those who worm their way into households and capture idle women, burdened down with sins, led along by a variety of passions, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. So what are some of these people doing? Not all of them, but some of these godless people in the churches are actually deceiving people. They're tricky. They worm their way into households. They worm their way into certain people and they can, they can garner together a group. They trick people, idle women, burdened down with sins, led along by a variety of passions. They capture them. They're tricky. They're convincing. And so you need discernment to spot them so that you're not deceived by them. And I would give you three tests. If you want to test me, which you should, and test other people, there are three tests you give to someone to find out if they're godly and whether you can trust them or whether they're deceptive. And here are the three, the three tests. One is biblical truth. Are they being biblical? If they're not being biblical, you can, you can basically eliminate them from trusting them, right? In the church. Number two, though, is character and holiness. Are they fighting sin in their own lives? Is there a sense of humility and holiness? If not, then write me off, right? And then the third one is the effect of their ministry on the church and the lost. Are other people being brought closer to Christ through their ministry or not? So check their biblical truthfulness, check their character, and check the effect of their ministry on Christians and non-Christians. Because they deceive people, so you need to keep a certain distance. Second reason why you need to keep a certain distance is verse 8. Look at verse 8. Just as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so these also resist the truth, men who are corrupt in mind and worthless. So why should you stay away from them? Because they're like the opponents of old. Janus and Jambres. Now, if I, had, if I was rich and money wasn't a, a problem for me, I would not that it's a problem, but if I, if I had all, all kinds of money to spare, I'd say, I'll give $100 to someone who can say who Janus and Jambres are from the Old Testament. I'm not going to do that, but does anyone know who Janus and Jambres are, who resisted Moses? Old Testament quiz here? 
Old Testament, some of you went through Old Testament survey and you're saying, PJ, you never taught us who Janus and Jambres are. And you're right, I didn't. You know why? Because their names are not in the Old Testament. So who are Janus and Jambres if their names are not in the Old Testament? Well, according to Jewish tradition, Janus and Jambres were the magicians who copied Moses' tricks or you know the miracles of the staff turning into a snake. That's Janus and Jambres. They resisted Moses. And so Exodus 7, 11 says this. It doesn't mention their name, but it talks about them. Exodus chapter 7 is where their, where their story is. Exodus 7, 11, it says, But Pharaoh called the wise men and sorcerers, the magicians of Egypt, and they also did the same thing by their occult practices. In verse 22, it says, But the magicians of Egypt did the same thing by their occult practices. So Pharaoh's heart hardened, and he would not listen to, to Moses and Aaron, as Yahweh had said. So Janus and Jambres, they said, so if here's Moses saying, God is real. Do you know how God's real? Throw the staff on the ground. Turns into a snake. And then Pharaoh says, oh yeah? Janus, Jambres, come here. They throw their staff on the ground. It turns into a snake. Now what does Moses' staff do? It eats their snake. But still, Pharaoh hardens his heart. And he's confused about the truth. Because there were opponents of the truth, Janus and Jambres, opposing Moses and Aaron. And so that's why we need to keep our distance because Janus and Jambres opposed Moses. So also these men in the churches today, they resist the truth. Men who are corrupt in mind and worthless in regard to the faith. They're not contributing to the spread of the gospel. And so keep your distance. The third reason why you're supposed to keep your distance from them is verse 9. They will not make further progress for their lack of understanding will be clear to all as theirs was also. Why should you keep a distance from them? Because their foolishness will be obvious. It's not always immediately obvious, but in time, just like Janus and Jambres were seen to be false sorcerers, how were they seen to be false sorcerers? Eventually, Moses did enough miracles where they couldn't copy them, right? I don't remember which one it was, whether it was throwing the dust in the air or the water to... I think they did the water to blood. They did do that one. But there was another plague where they just couldn't copy Moses and Aaron, and it was obvious that they were inferior. And so, just like they were exposed so will the opponents of the truth inside and outside of the churches be exposed. And so, so keep a distance because these are the last days. Satan wants to confuse Christians in the church. He wants churches to go, he wants churches to, to go weaker and weaker and weaker by mixing in with other people in the church who are more characterized by this than by the fruit of the Spirit. And the more you have that, in more and more churches, the gospel grows dimmer and dimmer as a light in the culture. And so Paul says, avoid these people. Avoid them. Satan wants syncretism. Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew 24? Let me just read it to you. Matthew 24, 8 through 14, Jesus says, "All, the, all he's talking about the last days. All these events are the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will hand you over for persecution and they will kill you. Jesus is talking to his disciples. They're going to kill you. You will be hated by all nations because of my name. Then many will take offense, betray one another, and hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Because lawlessness will multiply among God's people, the love of many will wax cold, right? You know that? The love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. This is the good news of the kingdom. This good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Jesus said he's going to come again. 
But before he comes, there's going to be false prophets and the deception of many and the love of many who say they love Jesus have cold hearts. So that's why we say, secondly, keep some distance from godless people, lest you be like them. Okay, now obviously you still have to love them and engage them, but still keep some distance. So number one, know the times we're living in. Terrible times in these last days. Outside the church and inside the church. Secondly, secondly I said keep some distance from them. And thirdly, lastly, for our time together today, continue in the faith. Continue in the faith. Look at verse 10. So we're going to say continue in the faith. And I'm getting, if you're saying where do you see continue in the faith? I'm getting this from verse 14. Look at the command in verse 14. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and what? Believed. Okay, so continue in the faith. Now let's go back to verse 10. Why do we need to continue in the faith? Why do we need to continue? Why not just give up? Four reasons why we need to continue. Number one, verses 10 through 12, because you know that the godly will suffer. So you have to continue, Timothy, because you will suffer. Look at verse 10. You have followed my teaching, conduct, Faith, patience, love, and endurance. Now, if you follow Paul and copy Paul in his faith, love, patience, endurance, conduct, purpose, and teaching, what did that get Paul? Where did this end? Where did this get Paul? This lifestyle. Killed, right? In jail first. Where's he writing from? He's writing from prison, and then he's going to get killed. And so, if Timothy's going to follow Paul in this lifestyle, where's Timothy going to end up? In jail, probably, or killed. Certainly persecuted. And that's why when you get to verse 11, he says, Timothy, you followed me along with persecutions and sufferings that came to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, yet the Lord delivered me from them all. Timothy was there. Timothy witnessed a lot of them. Timothy visited Paul in prison. And so verse 12 gives the principle. In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So if you follow Paul in his teaching, faith, conduct, purpose, love, patience, and endurance, if you follow Paul like that, and you want to live a godly life in your life, guess what you're going to have from people? Persecution, opposition. Like Jesus said, woe to you if all men speak well of you. They don't all speak well of Jesus. If you don't, if you don't create any opposition in your life, Paul says everyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted the only way you could not do that is to stay at so, at so much peace with everyone that you're not willing to live a godly life that might get you in trouble with people. But if you want to live a godly life, it's going to get you in trouble with non-Christians and sometimes even with Christians. And yet, you have to push through and continue in the faith because you know that the godly will suffer. Not only that, why else should you continue in the faith? Verse 13. Because you know that the, that godlessness is going to get worse. Look at verse 13. Evil people and imposters will become what? Worse. Deceiving and being deceived. So these evil people and imposters, fakers, they're not only, well, they're deceiving people, but not only are they deceiving people, they're also being what? Deceived. In other words, they can have, listen here, these people can have good, intentions they're not necessarily self-consciously deceiving others because they themselves are what being deceived so they don't even know that they're deceiving others because they themselves are being deceived just like we learned this morning that there are some who are captured by satan to do his will 
And they're, they're, they're not in their senses yet, it says. And so it's the same thing here. They're being deceived, and so they might have good intentions, and yet they lead people away from Jesus. Now, this is not just among pastors, though I could give you some pastors. I mean, I have a few that I wrote down here in my notes. I, I said this last Sunday morning, Danny Cortez from our association, who is very popular now um, among the world because of his teaching on homosexuality. Um, I think he, I've met with him three times personally. I've, I've met with him at Starbucks and at another place and with, with the association leaders. And I wouldn't say that he has bad intentions. As best I can tell, he seems like a warm, caring man. I don't think he has bad intentions. And yet, I still think he's being deceived. And because he's being deceived in his pastoral ministry, he's deceiving others. And that's just not in our association. You can go outside the Southern Baptist Convention. You know, there's popular teachers, Joel Austin, you know, um, the Pope of Roman Catholicism. I'm not saying he has bad intentions. I don't know him. I'm, I, let's assume the best, that he has good intentions. Even if you have good intentions, you can still be deceiving people as you yourself are being deceived. And so you need to continue in the faith that you have learned. So do it because you know the godly are going to suffer. Continue in the faith because the godless are going to get worse. Continue in the faith also. Look at verses 14 and 15. Why? Because you know those who taught you in verse 14. Who taught Paul? Who taught Timothy? Do you remember? From First Timothy, Second Timothy 1 verse 5. His mother, Eunice, and his grandmother, Lois. They taught him the word. Continue in what you have firmly believed and from those you learned it. Remember the people who gospelized you. This is a rich heritage. It is a blessing. And I, I've talked to many of you. Not all of you grew up in Christian homes. But I'm realizing more and more, even as I have children of my own now, what a blessing it was for me to grow up. I mean, we were, my parents got saved into my childhood, but still I grew up largely in a Christian home. And that's a rich heritage. That's a blessing that I don't deserve, that people don't deserve. And so Paul's telling Timothy, hey, brother, your grandma passed this gospel to you. Your mom passed this gospel to you. Do not drop it. Don't drop the baton, brother. Continue in it. The world is falling apart around you. The church is falling apart in front of you. Continue in what you have learned and firmly believe because you know who taught you. And you know that, look at verse 15, from childhood, what else did you know? From childhood, you have known the sacred scriptures because they taught you the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for what? For salvation through what? Faith in Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. Here's the good news, that you can be saved from your sins through faith in Jesus Christ and not by your own works. This is good news. It's good news that you don't open your Bible and then out rolls a checklist. That's, you know, that rolls a few pages down and you've got to start checking the boxes of all the different things you need to do so that you can be saved. The good news is that God sent his son to die on the cross for our sins and rise from the dead. And it's his work that saves us. You know you're still saved by works. It's just not your works. Whose works save you? Christ's works, right? By grace through faith in Jesus. I trust your life. I trust your death. I trust your resurrection counted for me. And you taking my sin on you. And as I trust in Christ and turn from my sins in repentance, I'm saved. And where did Timothy learn that? From the scriptures. So if you're not a Christian here, that's the good news for you. The good news is we don't have a to-do list for you. We just say trust in Jesus and turn from your sins, calling on him to save you, and you'll be saved. 
That's the gospel. That's the good news. And what did they teach him? They taught him, you know, that they taught him the scriptures, which give him wisdom for salvation. But also, what else do we learn about the scriptures in verses 16 and 17? All scripture, this is a very famous passage, right? All scripture is what? Inspired by God or breathed out by God. You know that every time you speak, you're not breathing in, you're breathing out. You exhale as you speak. I mean, you could just put your hand next to your mouth. You can't do it right now or else everyone's going to talk and it'll be distracting. But as I'm talking, I just put my hand right here and I can feel the words being breathed out. And that's the point, is that the scripture is God speaking. This text, this is amazing. These letters, these words on this page were breathed out and spoken by God. That's what this text is teaching. All scripture is spoken by God. It's breathed out by God. And that's what 2 Peter 1.21 says, is that the Holy Spirit moved and moved people along. You know, people did not... Let me read it to you. 2 Peter 1.21 says... It says, um, No prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit of God took the author, the human author, to write the scripture. And so it's not mere dictation. It's still through human personality, but God himself is the one speaking. God is speaking through 2 Timothy, through this letter, to you and to me. And so what do we, what, if, if this is God's word and if God spoke it, then that means that this Bible has certain characteristics. This Bible is inspired, meaning it's produced by God's spirit. It also means it's infallible. Do you know what infallible means? It cannot fail. In everything it says, it is completely reliable. It's inerrant. Do you know what inerrant means? Without error, completely truthful to reality in the original manuscripts. Now, I'm not talking about my Christian Standard Bible translation or your King James Version or whatever English translation you have. And I'm not even talking about your Greek copy. If you have a copy of the Greek New Testament or the Hebrew Old Testament, um, what we're saying with the Bible and what Christians have taught over the years is that the original manuscripts are inerrant, not necessarily the copies. They didn't have copy machines back then. You couldn't copy and paste on a computer. How did you copy? By hand. And therefore, there were errors in some copies. But we know where all the errors are. That's the good news. And so we know what God's word says. But here's the point is that the, the Bible and the original manuscripts are inerrant, without error. They are authoritative, which means that when scripture speaks, God speaks and you're accountable to what it says. If you disobey a command of the Bible, you disobey God and you are accountable to God and he will hold you accountable and he will hold me accountable. It's authoritative and it's clear. God speaks in a way that we can understand. Now you're saying, PJ, I don't understand everything in the Bible. Well, the main things in the Bible are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things. And lastly, we learn that the Bible is sufficient. What do I, what I mean by sufficient? I mean that the Bible is enough. Enough for what? Does the, is the Bible all we need? Depends on what you say by all we need. It, when I say the Bible is sufficient, it gives us all the instruction we need for a specific thing. I'm sorry? To be saved, <coughs> to live a life of godliness, for every good work you ever need to accomplish, this is all you need. But I'm not saying this is all you need to learn how to cook. Right? This is not a cookbook. It's not going to teach you how to fix your car. Right? You go to someone else for that. You go to Jim for that. If it's not telling you how to do plumbing. You go to Tony for that. Right? You're not, you're not going to get it here. This is sufficient for a specific purpose. What purpose is that? Verse 16. All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for what? For teaching, 
That means telling them the truth, and then when they get the truth wrong, for rebuking. If you need to rebuke someone and tell them that they're sinning and tell them they're wrong, what do you need? Scripture. And all you need is scripture. You don't need anything else. If you need to, to rebuke someone, just use the Bible. Teach them the truth from the Bible. When they step out of line, rebuke them from the Bible. And then what's after rebuking? Teaching, rebuking, correcting. So rebuking is telling them what they did wrong. Correcting is telling them how to fix it, how to do it right. Teaching, rebuking, correcting. And the last one is what? Training or instruction in righteousness. So how to make it your lifestyle. So teaching, here's what's true. Rebuking, here's what you did wrong. Correcting, here's how you fix it. Training, this is how you live it as a lifestyle. The scripture is all we need for training and godliness. So that verse 17, so that the man of God and the woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Do you want to be complete? Isn't that what we're trying to do? Right? We just baptized, our most recent baptisms were Darren and Kenny. I told some of you last night in our prayer meeting that we had another person profess faith um, to, to me outside in the back. And um, I, I'm still going to meet with that person this week. But what do we want for them? Do we want them to just profess faith and get baptized? No, we want them to be complete and equipped for every good work. So what do we need to do? We take the scriptures and we teach and we rebuke and we correct and we train each other back and forth week after week, day in and day out as a church family so that every member is complete and equipped for every good work because that's how the gospel spreads. Okay, so just to recap before we close, if we're going to continue in this gospel ministry, if we're going to take the baton from Paul and Timothy and run our leg of the race well, and then pass it on to the next generation, what do we need to do? We need to, number one, know the times. Know the times we live in in the church and in churches. Secondly, we need to avoid or keep a certain distance from, from people, godless people. And third, we need to continue in what we have learned. Stay faithful. We don't need new tricks or new creativity. We just need to be faithful to the same old truth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for the book of 2 Timothy. And thank you for reminding us that we need to continue in the faith. Thank you for giving us the gospel. Thank you for teaching us how to interact in our church and with other churches and with other Christians, understanding the times that we're in and understanding the demands on our lives because of the times we're in. Father, we pray that every member and attender in our church would be saturated with your word and that your word would be transforming all of us by your spirit's power, that we might be a holy and bright witness for the gospel here in this city and in this county to the rest of the world. And now, Father, as we move to our prayer time together as a church family, we do pray that you would bless our prayer time and may it be pleasing to you as your spirit leads us into prayer. And for our brothers and sisters who are going to be heading out right now, we do pray that even this week they would have a good week of pursuing you and enjoying you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.